Hi, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Good Thunder, a podcast featuring interviews with writers geeking out about writing. My name is Robin Becker, and I'm the director of the Good Thunder Reading Series. And I'm Annie Lindenberg. I'm the Good Thunder Reading Series graduate assistant and a third year in the MNSU MFA program. Now, the Good Thunder Reading Series has been operating for over 30 years mm. at Minnesota State University, Mankato, bringing acclaimed writers to our small town. As part of their duties, when they visit us, we do a radio interview. And I love true crime podcasts, so I thought, well, these interviews would make a wonderful podcast. Yes. Not a true crime podcast, <laughs> a podcast answering the burning questions. Why do we write? How do we write? When do we write? How can I get published and succeed as a writer? Why do I feel all these emotions, and how can I translate them to the page? Annie, are you a fan of podcasts? I am a fan of podcasts, and I actually do love listening to uh, authors get to talk about their experiences writing and their craft, because as a writer, I find it really helpful, or also just interesting. Yeah. Me too, and what I'll do is, uh, in addition to directing the series, I am a professor here, and what I'll often do when I'm teaching a writer, I'll Google the writer's name and podcast, find a podcast that they're interviewed or some geeks are talking about the writer. <laughs> and I will just listen to that when I'm taking a shower or driving in my car yeah. or cleaning, scooping up kitty litter. And then I'll learn a lot about the writer and their processes that I can then impart on my class as if I researched it or it just came up on high from me and yeah. not from a podcast. Yes. Uh, and it's great to get to start this with Victoria Chang, our first visiting author of this season. What an amazing segue. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, Good Thunder, what, it, what we're all about first? Yeah. So Good Thunder's mission is to really bring authors to, like you said, Mankato, kind of small town. But um, we get community members and people from the school who like to come out and visit for a day of events with our visiting author. We have a workshop in the morning, a craft talk in the afternoon, and a reading. So we really get to spend a whole day with um, a writer and learn more about their process. And one of the things we do is this interview that you'll get to listen to later. And I want to say a little bit something about Victoria Chang. She was a delight. She not only is an accomplished poet and nonfiction writer, but a wonderful human being. I um, drove around with her in the car a lot, and we had much in common. We're both like 50-something <coughs> women in academia, and we've had, even though we come from different areas, we've had, she's from California, I'm from New Jersey, mm -hmm. we've had very similar experiences working our way through academia. And she manages to maintain a sense of humor and a sense of who she is and what it means to be a woman writer, and in mm -hmm. her instance, a Chinese-American woman writer yes. in in our contemporary times. So I'm yeah. sure he was wonderful. Yeah, one of the words that comes to mind for me, I keep coming back to with her, is just generous. I think she was incredibly generous with her time, and anyone who came up to her, she engaged in a wonderful conversation that was very open and you know receptive to what the person was talking about, and I definitely took stuff from um, just talking to her throughout the day and her events. I I don't know if there's anything particularly you felt that like you took from Victoria Chang, um, whether in your conversations in the car or talks that resonated with you as a writer, but 
Um, I did. What did a great you? question. Yeah. The most thing, the thing that I really took was to do the work for the work's sake, mm. not to do your writing for reward, publication, money, renown, fame. Yeah. Hopefully that will, some of that will come, but to do it because you have something inside of you that you need to communicate to the world or you yeah. have a question that you need answering and you can only answer that through writing. Um, and that was helpful for me to hear when yeah. sometimes you know, I recently finished a book, as you know, Andy, mm -hmm. and I'm working on publication and it feels like it's demoralizing <laughs> and um, there's a lot of failure involved in writing. And to hear somebody yeah. of her success discuss that failure um, and the joy that she gets from just the process of writing was mm -hmm. inspirational. Yeah. And just to have that freedom of experimentation or to kind of reduce the stress you put on yourself about things. You can try different things in your writing and it should be experimentation and you shouldn't have to feel like perfection is the only goal you know you can there's many ways to find what the end product needs to be agreed and I do have to add then that today the Guggenheim Awards came out it's $800,000 award from the Guggenheim Fellowship Foundation and once again I was overlooked <laughs> how dare they <laughs> I can't believe it <laughs> so I think we're ready to yeah to roll the interview yes um See you on the flip side and hope you enjoy our time with Victoria Chang. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first Authors in Transit interview of the 2023-24 season. I'm Robin Becker, director of the Good Thunder Reading Series. My co-hosts today are Andy Lindenberg and Amy Beekler. Annie is a second-year MFA student in the Creative Writing Program at Minnesota State University, focusing on fiction as well as the graduate assistant for the program. And Amy is a second year MFA student focusing on poetry and a fan of our guest, Victoria Chang. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Glad to be here. Victoria is a writer who crosses genres. She has both poetry and nonfiction essay collections, plus a children's book, or two. Mm -hmm. Her forthcoming book of poems, With My Back to the World, will be published in 2024 by FSG, and her most recent poetry collection, The Trees Witness Everything, was named one of the best books of 2022 by The New Yorker and The Guardian. Her nonfiction book, Dear Memory, was named a favorite nonfiction book of 2021 by Electric Literature and Kirkus. Her poetry collection, Obit, released in 2020, was named a New York Times notable book, a Time Must Read book, and received the Los Angeles Times Book Prize, among other prizes. She has received a Guggenheim Fellowship and serves as the Bourne Chair in Poetry at Georgia Tech. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you. Good to have you. Nice to be here. Yay. <laughs> so I'm going to start with an anecdote. Over Labor Day weekend, my husband and I took a trip to Iowa, very far away, and I read most of your collection, Obit, out loud to him. We had to stop reading a few times because the writing was so powerful and we both got emotional. Uh, my parents are, have both passed away and his parents are in their late 80s. And we both felt a strong connection to the current of grief and loss running throughout the book. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin of the collection, how you came to that form and content? Yeah, um, thank you for sharing your story, and um, I appreciate I appreciate that. And you know, the the book really came out of of trying to figure out what my own emotions were at the time when my mother had just passed away, I think it was eight months prior, I think I started, had started writing Obit eight months after she had passed, 
of a long-term illness, pulmonary fibrosis, and um, it's a really brutal disease and it can last a long time and she was sick for a long time and my father had had a stroke, you know, maybe like seven or something like that years prior. And so there's just a lot of emotions and feelings of, of caretaking and just kind of surviving. And then when she passed, um, I didn't want to write that sort of classic elegy and I felt like everyone else had done it better than I could ever do it. And it just felt like the wrong form. And so I had kind of, I think, mistaken that feeling with, oh, I don't want to write about my mother or my grief. But I think at some point I had just um, been listening to the radio and they were talking about this documentary called Obit. And that word just kind of struck me. And I went home and wrote one you know, it just got me going, that sort of frame of the traditional obit of the newspaper, or now it's online, I guess, um, obituaries are online, and something something died on this date, just got me going. And then I just wrote one, and then wrote another, and I wrote another. So that's kind of how they came to be. And I think it ended up being, at, the, at when I was all done, the book that maybe I needed to read, a very mm-hmm. sort of... Um, you know, like a diasporic Asian-American kind of grieving experience and long illness grieving experience. And the book looks so cool, too. I mean, I don't Mm. know if cool is the word, but in the way that they're structured like the traditional newspaper obits Mm -hmm. when perfectly rectangular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for just for readers out there or listeners, there are not the obits are two abstract concepts as well as uh, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're for two ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, and there are a whole bunch where I, you know, Victoria Chang died on this date because I think it's interesting to think about like that you and a person that passed had like that you had this own unique world that you created. And so when that person dies, to some extent, that version of you that was just really specific and private to that relationship has also died. I thought that was really interesting, just sort of thinking through these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I, um, I'm really interested in your use of poetry forms, especially with your new collection and how specific um, you you made them. Um, are there certain forms that you really love to write in, and ones that you just will avoid at all costs when yeah. you're when you're uh, generating ideas? You know, I don't really have any um, of those feelings. I kind of think whatever it is I'm writing, whatever subject matter I'm writing. Um, if, if it wants or demands a form kind of thing, then I just, you know, ask it what it wants. Mm-hmm. And then I try different things. And whatever sticks is something that just sticks. And, I, you know, I try lots of different things. For me, um, it's just a, like writing is so fun. And so it's very, for me, I'm very like a, a playful writer. Mm-hmm. And nothing, nothing really to me is very important or precious, if that makes sense. So I'll try different forms. I'll have old word documents where I've moved things around or so yeah and I'm I make up forms for myself I'm constantly um, giving myself various restrictions or containers to put very difficult material into and um, yeah so so no nothing that I restrict myself with 
Oh, I was interested. I read another interview with you. Um, I don't know if you can expand on this, where you said something to the effect of, well, actually, I have the exact quote. <laughs> the imagination is boundless. That's what's fun about restraint. Right. Um, and, and I think we've talked about when we were driving home from the airport, something about how you feel freedom in that constraint. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And I, and I think other people may not feel this, but I feel this. Like, I feel like, you know, I think about a sonnet, too. It's like it's there's a reason why the sonnet's still around is because it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a small container to put in, like, these really large feelings. Um, yeah. No, for me, I think my brain is sort of all over the place and it's uh, it, it tends to not have any boundaries. And so for, for my kind of brain and my personality, I think putting some of those restrictions around myself can actually be really free. And um, so it's, I always use this quote, well, there are two quotes I always use, like Terrence Hayes said that for him, form is like a, a bird flying within a cage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Robert Creeley said also, I think, because I haven't been able to find this quote, I could have made this up myself, mm-hmm. um, but strong feelings require strong containers. And for me, that these things resonate with me. I'm not at all suggesting that other people um, need boundaries, but for, for me, in my brain, it works really well. I do love Terrence Hayes' sonnets. Mm-hmm. The sonnets for my past and future assassin. Yep. Yeah, those are that's a beautiful collection. Yep. Yeah, I, and following up with um, form and and the short form of uh, the trees witness everything. Did you find when you were writing within that form that you would get to a poem that you would just want to continue to keep going past the form or the boundaries that you had set for yourself? Yeah, so th- those poems are these little miniature poems that are all varying syllabic forms. They're in Japanese syllabic form, so you know yeah. it's not really, you know, like like haikus are the Japanese characters are one syllable. In English, a word can be many syllables, so it's not like a clear pathway. But it, really, I was writing syllabics, and there is one of them that I used. Uh, like they're called wakas, but there's one kind of waka that I used that was like you can have as many lines as you want. Um, and I want to say that was the choka. If if I'm not, I, I could be mistaken, but it's C H O K A. And so, but the other ones, you know, like had clearer syllabic forms. They're more like you know. I even wrote some tankas, but like five, seven, five, seven, seven, and then you're done. So that had like a clear book end. But there's one of them that, you know, you could just write forever, but I chose to make those nine anyway. So I think I just, I needed to know where to stop. And then I could, you know, I love endings that are just really big and mysterious. And so just knowing where that ended just gave me a little bit of like a little lamp in the dark, if that makes Mm, sense. Because to me, writing feels very much so like writing in a really dark cave you can't see anything so just having a tiny little flicker occasionally it can be helpful yeah are there tankas in obit are the is mm-hmm. that the that's the form that breaks up the obituaries yeah the, the obits. right yeah. right i had two tankas on on a page as a as a break like i mm-hmm. and the material and the you know and i someone wrote this like coffin like obituaries and mm-hmm. they're all rectangles um, felt like kind of sometimes heavy to me. Um, and so I read them aloud and thought, okay, when am I sort of like starting to wander mentally or where is it kind of heavy? I'm just going to add a few tankas in to sort of just break up that mm-hmm. monotony, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the feeling of grief and loss that you instill in your readers from the power of the poems. Yeah, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, it overwhelmed me, the whole you know experience. And 
I, you know, I was trying to replicate that. Like, could I explain these terrible feelings in poetry? I didn't know if it was possible because they're so big. I mean, there's anyone who's lost anyone or anything, you know, an animal or anything. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so large. Like, how can you describe this thing that's so large? So when I first started writing, I was like, I don't think I can describe it. But I think poetry, and I've said this before, can get as close to that as possible. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Mm. Would you like to read a poem for us now? Sure. <laughs> this is uh, from Obit. My mother's teeth. Died twice, once in 1965, all pulled out from gum disease. Once again on August 3rd, 2015. The fake teeth sit in a box in the garage. When she died, I touched them, smelled them, thought I heard a whimper. I shoved the teeth into my mouth, but having two sets of teeth only made me hungrier. When my mother died, I saw myself in the mirror, her words around my mouth like powder from a donut. Her last words were in English. She asked for a Sprite. I wonder whether her last thought was in Chinese. I wonder what her last thought was. I used to think that a dead person's words die with them. Now I know that they scatter, looking for meaning to attach to, like a scent. My mother used to collect orange blossoms in a small, shallow bowl. I passed the tree each spring. I always knew that grief was something I could smell, but I didn't know that it's not actually a noun, but a verb, that it moves. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that image of the putting your, your the teeth on your teeth. Mm-hmm. It's so evocative and layered. Mm-hmm. Like and you know, trying to take your mother in, use her mouth, her language, her yeah. speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a first like just a lo- lovely reader. Um, I'm curious too. When you're, like, how do you feel about reading versus reading your work on the page? Like, is that auditory experience something you're thinking about in the process of writing? Does that help you with your syntax or word choice? Um, or is it just uh, feels separated to you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I encourage my students and people that I work with to read your poems aloud mm-hmm. in um, at some point. It could be any point, but yeah. like for me, it's definitely during the revision process Mm. and I just read them over and over and over and over like I like hundreds of times and um and I kind of then I hear hear the poems and then that helps me Mm -hmm. revise um when I'm reading like poems to other people sometimes I'm not thinking about anything. Like yeah. I'm actually not thinking about the meaning or sometimes I'll be like sort of paying attention and then something will catch and then I'll go back and change something mm-hmm. later or, you know, like that's not quite working. So for me, it's very much so an oral tradition of yeah. poetry and it's mm-hmm. like, it, it, and, and it helps me to, to read it aloud. Yeah. That. that was a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I have to lighten the mood for a moment and ask about your collection Barbie Chang with mm-hmm. the Barbie movie and the Barbie mania. Yeah. I know that I recently saw an interview with Denise Duhamel. Yeah. Um, did I pronounce that right? Duhamel? Duhamel, I think. I think that's a good guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard it said out loud. D-U-H-A-M-E-L. Readers, call in. <laughs> um, about her collection Kinky, which yeah. I've read and I, and is also a, a bunch of Barbie poems. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if you had any 
additional thoughts about your collection or and its tie-in with Barbie? Or will there be a commercial tie-in, <laughs> a reprinting maybe? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I feel like sometimes... Um, you know, I, when I write about things, they're just, they don't make a lot of sense to other people. And that was definitely one of them, words like I named the book Barbie Chang and created a character um, named Barbie Chang because I thought it was funny. Like it just, the, the, the idea of like Barbie with the last name of Chang just seemed so impossible and ridiculous that I created a character and wrote into those poems and they, the, all the poems in that book were first person, and when I changed all of the first person to Barbie Chang, the whole project, you know, seemed ridiculous. And uh, but I, but the ridiculousness of it was sort of um, what I loved about it. And you know, like I kind of have this attitude about art is like the more ridiculous, the more amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I feel like when it first came out, people didn't quite understand it, and they may still not understand it. But it doesn't, like to me, it doesn't matter. I really enjoyed writing it and since the movie came out which I have not seen yet um, I'm like maybe the last person on earth (laughs) Um, yeah some people have contacted me about it and I think that that, you know like town and country even wrote something on it and I was like (laughs) yeah amazing they're I guess they're looking for like you know those marketers they're looking for like literary tie-ins and stuff like that and so um, yeah it it is funny to think about that book but it was you know forget it is like a playful fun thing to do but also I think the book was very serious it was talking about race and Mm -hmm. um, you know the the iconic sort of figure of Barbie so it was both funny and serious to me yeah Hmm. it's interesting too because I think didn't that book come out in 2017 or yes. 2018, yeah. which now feels, which is not that long ago, but feels mm-hmm. forever ago. A lot has happened since 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm curious. Um, all, all three of your collections, poetry collections are very different. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how you move from the ending of one project to the next project mm-hmm. and almost how you develop those ideas for your next collection. Um, Yeah, I mean, I always think like, and I have, I think I have, I've lost count, but I actually have, I wrote two books before these three um, that are, that are like, just like thesis books, if that makes sense. Like there were poems from like my MFA program and things like that, but people often forget about them. (laughs) (laughs) But um like they are all if you look back at them they're all the themes are there like I think we have our obsessions you know we were talking yeah. a little bit about that and for for me books are and I've said this like recently they're manufactured you know products of capitalism and in no way or shape or form does the imagination work that way mm. um, we're haunted by subject matter we're haunted by imagery mm. and um, yeah I think for, for me the things just keep I just keep rehashing them and reconfiguring them and and I don't really think about things like the like the tankas in Obit were maybe related to the tiny miniature poems and the Mm. trees witness everything like it just kind of I'm just getting going and then things are sort of like leaking it's totally fine because the the book as as product is no way a reflection of um, anything but that. It's just a product that is made and our lives are one continuous line of imagery, Mm. memory, feelings, and obsessions, you know, things that continuously haunt us. And they haunt us in different times and in different ways, if that makes sense. So I don't 
worry about it. I just write whatever is calling me at that moment, even if it's stuff I've written about before mm. um, or like forms that might literally be beating grief to death, like over and over and over. It's like, I don't care about the reader. Yeah. Like it's like boring the reader. It's like, I'm not really, I don't think about it. It's like, that's my obsession and I'm exploring my own obsessions kind of thing. Yeah, very cool, yeah. Would you like to tell us about either your book that's coming out next year or something that you're working on right now? Yeah, I'm working on two things, this prose thing. Um, and then I'm also, I finished uh, that book that's coming out next year's an acrostic book of poems that's sort of in conversation with the artwork of the artist Agnes Martin. And she works, she did a lot of grids and stuff and was considered, you know, like an abstract artist. Um, and so, yeah, there's something about the grid form that I found to be really exciting um, and helpful to me, sort of while, while I was thinking about some of the things, my obsessions at that time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that book is is cool. Like, I also do a little bit of doodling in there, and I have illustrations that, you know, I'm not a very good artist. I started out drawing a lot, but and, but language seemed to be the thing that I uh, was, was sort of stayed with me. Um, so, yeah, that book is is neat I, I'm looking forward to it and there I think I think what's exciting about it is that um, you know I, I'm with a new publisher and also they are um, you know really fun to work with so that's kind of what I'm excited about the prose thing I'm not I don't really know what to say about it yet because I'm still in the middle of it but um, but I, I love it because it's so fun to be writing you know mm -hmm. the alternative is not writing mm -hmm. so I'm happy to be writing if that makes sense oh totally any? Selfishly, I always love to ask this question. Um, as current writers in the MFA, do you have any advice like on how to best use our MFA time, and also, mm -hmm. you know, to help set us up for continuing writing for you know, hopefully, yeah. the rest of our lives? I mean, this may be like the worst response to that kind of question, mm -hmm. but you know, like I wouldn't take it so seriously. Yeah, you know, like it's just two years or three years here of mm -hmm. your life and your writing life, which is hopefully your entire life at various points here yeah. and there it's a tiny little blip and it's not do or die you know you're not going to learn everything mm -hmm. that you'll know as a human and as a writer mm -hmm. in this short period of time yeah. and so like to me just not thinking about it as this time where you have to maximize anything is for me it would have been freeing to think that um i love that so mm -hmm. that's kind mm -hmm. of the advice i would give is like this is just the beginning for many of all of you um, or like the at the end tale of the beginning if that makes sense of your yeah. journey as a human and you, as your as a journey of your writing life and so um, you'll be learning things here that you'll be using for the rest of your life but then you'll be learning a ton other things yeah. going forward so it's just a tiny 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 period is what I would say. I love that. Mm -hmm. Take the yeah. pressure off. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not that big of a deal. Have yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> Would you like to, to ask? I'm really excited about Amy's oh, question. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about this before we started, but um, I read in your acknowledgement pages that, or acknowledgement page about your uh, two wiener dogs named yeah. Mustard and Ketchup. Mm -hmm. And I just, aside from them, obviously looking like hot dogs how did you <laughs> kind of come up with those names and like 
maybe their personalities do they match yeah. those names as well oh, yeah. they're so bad i love them to <laughs> death. they're so I just their their little faces pop into my head right now and they're so cute but it's actually 9 year old humor so um my older daughter named them when yeah, she was okay. nine so yeah. it's like it's it's that kind of funny kid humor yeah that yeah. i just think about all the time every, every every day i say their names and it just makes me laugh and they're yeah. just ludicrous and there, there's a ridiculousness about wiener dogs that i just love and and it keeps me really it reminds me that life is supposed to be fun and funny mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. amidst all of the you know the, the awful things that happen um there's still a lot of humor and ridiculousness. And so I think having wiener dogs in my life named mustard and ketchup mm-hmm. kind of reminds me that, that this whole thing that we're doing is just, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. I'm imagining yeah. them in those the Halloween costumes. Oh, we have the, them. The bun. <laughs> oh, yeah. They have Argyle sweaters. They oh. have hot dog outfits. They have hamburger outfits. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. The whole wonderful. thing is shameful. Oh, it just, yeah. It's like Ross Gay wrote a book, The Book of Delights. Mm-hmm. And like you can see on your face when talking about them. They it's just delightful. like bring so much yeah. delight. And it's. And to other yeah. people. Like every yeah. time I walk with them or it's like people shout out the, of cars and will be like they'll start laughing i see people laughing and it's <laughs> like i these dogs just don't know like they just made people's day you know yeah. even for a split second i think it's good to you know get out of ourselves and not take everything so seriously and yeah the, they definitely remind us that to do that i'm imagining a long skinny wiener dog poem in your future <laughs> <laughs> i know i should write some dog poems mary oliver wrote dog poems you know mm-hmm. and i was like oh yeah i should i should write some dog poems that'd be really fun you know some people write like baseball poems or you know hockey poems i should write dog poems yeah, Perfect. yeah. you heard it here fo- first folks dog haikus right <laughs> yeah. well we have to wrap this up so thank you so much for being here thanks for having me and my esteemed guests co-hosts Thanks for being here. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for letting us come. It's been a delight talking to you, Victoria, about your work and talking to Andy and Amy about it as well. Um, And I'm stoked for the rest of the day. Thank you all out there in Radioland for listening to Authors in Transit. Our next writer is another multi-genre wonder and MSU alum, Aruni Kashyap, and he'll be here on October 26th. If you'd like to learn more about Victoria, Aruni, or any of the writers visiting for the 2023-24 reading series, you can find us on our website at gt.mnsu.edu. Right on, everybody. And that's how that went. Yes, (laughs) and it was a blast. It really was. I was immediately struck by Victoria's statement, and I'll quote here, I don't care about the reader. I'm exploring my own obsessions. Yeah. I was like, yes! Yes, yep. Like so much in our MFA program and in talking about creative writing, we talk about the reader. What does the reader think? Mm-hmm. How will this impact the reader? Um, are we being clear enough to make sure we're explaining what we mean to the reader? And um, Victoria was like, I don't care if I'm boring the reader. And I thought that was really punk rock. No, I loved that too. Because she talked about how it was kind of the book she needed to read. So like that total like elimination of the audience as much. And 
I totally agree. I loved the championing of experimentation, like playing how you write, not feeling constrained to what you've done. And it's okay to quote unquote fail with something new because it gets you closer to the right project, which I loved. And I wish that I could be a little bit less as a writer. I don't know about you, Annie, but I wish I could be a little bit less worried about what the reader thinks and just like go, go balls out with what I'm interested in yeah. and sort of trust that because I'm interested in it as a human being, like other human beings will be interested in it as well. Yeah, I think also sometimes we're constrained by what we think our voices or like what our type of writing is, which I like that she also talked about kind of like try different things because you don't know what the whole scope of your writing can be in your voice, which is really cool. That reminds me of the advice that some people give, which is to lean into your, um, not, I don't know, not your obsessions, but lean into your weaknesses, mm. right? If there's something that you're, you're, that your quirks, I guess, yeah. right? Like lean into, if you continually, you know, use elaborate dialogue tags, for instance, and everybody's like, no, it should only be said or asked, mm-hmm. but instead lean into it and make that quirk or that aspect that people say is not good writing make that your style yeah and make that yeah kind of a strength of the piece or something it has a point because you use it excellent yes and then i also want to talk a little bit about um victoria's next book to kind of plug it um in her reading she read from her forthcoming collection called with my back to the world inspired by the work of the abstract artist agnes martin And the title comes from a series of six paintings Martin created in 1997. And like they're all horizontal bars in light blue and yellow and orange. And it's like sort of graphic design oriented and really abstract. Yeah. Have you looked at any of Agnes Martin's work? I haven't maybe seen the full scope, but I've seen some of it. And it's interesting how it's abstract. But a lot of it also is still kind of... um, clean or like simple and how that big yes and huge and that that kind of I don't know dichotomy is interesting Mm -hmm. yeah I was looking at it and I was wondering like how could one write a poem about those abstract lines but Victoria Chang can and she did (laughs) so that's about it for now our next podcast features the multi-genre writer and MSU MFA alum Aruni Kashyap right on everybody right on Right on, right on.